Welcome to Deacon's Pod. I'm Deacon Dennis. Say hello to my co-conspirators, Paulus Affiliate Deacons, Deacon Drew and Deacon Tom. Hello, this is Deacon Drew. Hello, this is Deacon Tom. So what's going on in your lives today? I will tell you that my life is leveling off. <laughs> I could tell you more, but Tom, what's going on with you? Oh, well, gee, it's more exciting than mine, indeed. So level is good. So I had the pleasure of speaking to a group that was hosting the diocesan CCW, Right to Life, Respect for Life, actually, the meeting for the Diocese of St. Petersburg. And there were about 50 women there, active women. We have at St. Joan of Arc a, a very active CCW group that really stretches. They work with uh, doing a lot of stuff with some of the minority groups, some of the uh, really disadvantaged St. Vincent de Paul, big time. What does CCW uh, stand for? Council of Catholic Women. Council and of it's Catholic Women. Council of Catholic It's a is, very is old. A, is that a Florida uh, thing? Is that a national thing? National. Wow, yeah, okay. It could, could be international for all I know. It's the backbone of the women that do a lot of good work for our church, especially serving the poor. We do a lot of, for uh, trafficked people, women and children who are in trafficking. They do support for that. So it was funny uh, to be asked uh, as the guy to speak to a bunch of uh, women who are active. My comment was, oh, we're in the wrong place here. We should have the powerful women who are leading this organization. I should be in the audience. You know, it's that kind of thing when you... But we really, they wanted to hear about what women have done and just come up with some encouragement for what their activities have been in the past. And so I spent some time thinking about that. You know, I really reflected, and apparently it went over well, is to say that their dynamic now is... Because, again, their concern is in an elderly parish, just a lot of people leaving. And they see this happening in their life. And so a concern is, what's going to happen to the church? And I said, well, so part of my presentation was, God knows what's going to happen to the church. Our job is to be faithful, as Mother Teresa used to tell quite often, not to be successful, but to be faithful, and to do the work that we have to do. And of course, these ladies are doing that work. But the image that came to mind in doing this is, you know, throughout the Old Testament history, we hear this idea of a remnant, you know, the remnant. What's, how's God working? You know, we see it in the readings today, Noah, right? We turn around and God always moves toward completing God's plan. And I really felt that as he gave up that presentation, how these are the movers and shakers that get a lot of our, our Catholic social teaching done. And what's good about our particular parish and these women that I know it's they've been a long time beyond just the pro-birth, you know, pro-life issue. They've been dynamic in the whole person. And that, to me, is what I think is going to distinguish us going forward, the whole ability to recognize the needs and the suffering of others, that whole compassion, accompaniment, empathy, and a sense of feeling that's the suffering of those who are under so much stress and demand today. So that was my little wonderful week that I had last week that was very encouraging because it's post-COVID, and we haven't really gotten back on our feet with doing a lot of these presentations yet. So that was my little story about this week. So made it enjoyable for me and for some of those women that do so much for our church. What do you think about that, Dennis? Oh, I think he's a superstar. That's a low bar. It's a low bar from you. Oh, no, it's not, Tom. No, we Tom can talk about me installing lot. your TV if you want to get the That's the right. Tom side. helped I mean, me put in a new TV I and see the box bar. <laughs> so that was, he came right over as soon as I said, hey, can you get the end of this? And he came over, stayed half the day. God bless him. Tom but, is a good friend and a good worker, and he's very humble about it, unlike me. So 
But you got to say, I have no technical skills whatsoever. So, so no, and the TV still working. It's amazing. <laughs> Generally, he touches your computer, it dies. No one knows why. We don't know why. I've seen him do it. It's, I didn't see you do anything wrong. But he has yeah, a negative yeah. energy force or something yeah, around yeah, electronics. That, that, that magnetic but, personality. Yeah. Yes. But he came something. over and helped me. So, Tom, so he's a good guy. Tom, in, in your talk to the women, though, if I understand it correctly, you, like, like me, you didn't have an answer as to what we're going to do. Your answer was, we just keep doing what we're doing yeah. and keep doing God's work. Is that what I, do I understand that's, you correctly? Um, I, I think that's my modus operandi. I don't have the brain with or the capacity to recognize how this shakes out, but I do know what I've learned in the past is that it's a plan. It's a good plan. The more I learn to cooperate with that plan, the better things seem to go. And I don't mean better in necessarily a good sense, but the ability to have more patience, more understanding, more ability to reconcile. So it's, yeah, it's like many people, I know we all know people who are suffering, but they, uh, they're able to keep their mindset focused on that they're blessed to be here. They're, they're, they still find blessings. And that's been some of my experience in the past in the hospital, in prison. You look at people and say, how can they have a, how can they even smile with what they're carrying? The sicknesses, loss of loved ones, tragedies. And you talk to them. I talked to a man, one of our parishioners, and is tethered to an oxygen tank, and this guy was a paratrooper. And so here he is in his 70s and 80s. His back is all messed up. He's dying of cancer. And I'd go over to see him and we'd start to talk. So I'd say, well, how are you doing? And he says, no, 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 no. We don't, no, don't talk. Don't, I don't want, don't talk about me. I want to know how you're doing. What are you doing? And it just was so moving to realize, here's a guy who's bound to the house to a piece of wire connected to an oxygen tent. And no self-concern at all, no self-pity. And he was one of many people I've seen. And it just shapes you in ways to know that here's a faith, here's somebody who's so full of faith and so suffering. It makes you know our understanding of Jesus' passion a little bit more understanding how some people are able to suffer great pain and agony and then associate it with, with the suffering of Christ on the cross. And, and I'm, I dare say, in that walk, they find peace that we would spend a lot of money to buy if we could ever do that. But we know that's not possible. We just have to do what the good Lord asks us. And that's, I think, our struggle in faith. And, you know, we talk a lot about going to church or being in church or finding that. And I think that's something people who stop or have given up on the church really are, uh, are hungering for. You know, where do you find a kind of peace when your world turns upside down and stuff happens? So. And I think it just comes with that knowledge that God is with us in the good times and the bad. And we can really get strength and courage from that. At least I'm, I find that on the days that I cooperate more than the days that I resist. You remind me, and part of what you're talking about reminds me of a story by, told by Metropolitan, which is Bishop Anthony Bloom, a Russian Orthodox bishop who wrote a, a great book entitled Learning to Pray years ago. And he talks about how when you are sick and suffering, he was ministering to a young woman who said that she saw the good in everyone, and she was and she was looking to see the good in God, and she was happy, and she was not happy that she was dying, but she was happy that she felt the comfort of God close to her. And he wrote her a letter and said, you do that now, but there will be a time when you'll be in so much pain that you will feel alone. And then as you fall deeper and deeper into that loneliness, if you open up your heart, God will come back and pull you back out of it, and you will see God. So I hear that in what you're saying in terms of people who embrace where they are. And, yeah, uh, it, uh, he, uh, 
Well, there's a lot of writers now talking about that suffering, which is something we run from, right? It's so hard to embrace suffering. I think today's gospel in Mark chapter 8 about the invitation, like, you follow me, here's what lies in store. So, yeah, it, I, I do think it's one of those areas of mystery that we just crack, can't crack open, but we try. But, but we just have to persevere. To, that's we right. have to the persevere. World, the world gives us plenty of time to practice. That's true. What else is going on? Is anybody else doing anything? I'm like, I, I think what's going on is we're about to talk to Mike Hayes. Very good. Excellent. <laughs> and see how he uh, approaches life and the things he does in his ministry. I can't wait to hear that. Today joining us is Michael Hayes. And if you are a Paulist associate, Paulist fan, a, a fan of the Paulist, anybody who's listened to anything that's Paulist, you may recognize that name. He is known to a lot of us as the host of the YouTube program, Five Questions with the Paulist Fathers. And that's not a totally accurate title because he has all also run his program. He's also hosted on his program deacons, including the three of us sitting here and others, and Paulist, I think some of Paulist associates, and quite a bit of the Paulist fathers. Mike currently is in formation to become a deacon in the Diocese of Cleveland. He also is working for the Diocese of Cleveland as a director of young adult ministry. He is, as we say, churched. <laughs> He's been around a long time. He has a lot of experience in radio and media. A fact that I did not know is that Mike Hayes, our guest, was the co-founder of BustedHalo.com, the website. So Mike is one of us, and Mike has a lot of information based on his current job and based on his history with the church. So, Mike, we welcome you. Thanks, guys. Yes, indeed. Nice to see you, Mike. You make us look good, Mike. <laughs> so uh, we have so many questions and, and thoughts to get into, and Mike, since you do this and you did it with all three of us, you've already grilled us with your five questions for each one of us. We don't necessarily want to grill you, but let's start off by at least giving the listeners some 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 understanding of your spiritual journey. Yeah, thanks. So I'm a cradle Catholic and an Irish cradle Catholic at that. So my dad is actually from Ireland. My mom grew up in just north of New York City in Yonkers. As my wife, who is from Brooklyn, will remind me that I'm not a real New Yorker because I grew up in Yonkers. They were both Catholics that met St. Joseph's Church in Yonkers. And so right away, that was always part of the family. And as soon as I could become an altar server, they, they had me do that. They, they, they went to the pastor and said, hey, how old do you have to be to be an altar server? He goes, well, you have to be 10 years older in the fourth grade. I was nine, but in the fourth grade. And so I was the youngest altar server. I was smaller than everybody else. I could barely carry the cross. How many of us Catholics have said that? We can right. barely carry the cross. <laughs> right. Oh, but, but you meant it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. The, went, to, went to Fordham for college. I was an altar server all the way through high school. And I was serving a wedding. This was back when you could still sweep rice off the steps because you still threw rice at weddings back then. And I'm sweeping the rice off the steps after mass. It was one of our duties. And this guy comes up to me. He looked a little disheveled to me. And he said, hey, kid, could you go ask the father if maybe, maybe you can give me a sandwich? He goes, pastor usually gives me a sandwich. 
if I come by, and the person he was talking about was was a beloved pastor who had just recently retired. He was he took very very good care of the people around the neighborhood, no matter who they were, and he would invite the guys to come in and and, and eat with them for lunch almost every three days or so. But he wasn't there, so I went over to find the new associate pastor. He came out, called the guy, raised to epithet, and told him to get the heck out of here. And I was done. Yeah. I, I wanted nothing to do with the church after that. And then I went to college. I went to Fordham. And I said, well, I'll probably still go to Mass, but I don't think I'm going to be all that involved with the church. Well, lo and behold, my dorm is right next to the chapel. The bells would wake you up if you were taking a nap. And so you couldn't really avoid it. So I started going to Mass. And I said, well, I'll volunteer to be a lector, maybe. I did that before. But I don't want to be an altar server. I don't want to do any of that stuff anymore. Mm-hmm. I volunteer to be a lector, and the director of campus ministry comes to me. He goes, hey, you know what? I'm looking for someone to serve the 515 Mass. Would you Would you do it? And I just didn't know how to say no, and it just changed me. I met these guys who were sleeping with the with the homeless in New York City and running a soup kitchen called Pat's Part of the Solution, just in the North Bronx, which was great. So I got involved in those kinds of things. I became very involved in the retreat programs that they did, and that that's really informed me gifts he got in the lives of other people, I think, and see where God is intersecting in their everyday lives and how we're called to be Christians for each other when we're not really feeling it that day. And I went to work in New York City Radio after I graduated college. People somehow knew I was Catholic. Either would come up in conversation or I would say, oh yeah, I'm going to Mass after my shift or whatever it was. And Mm -hmm. I was doing mostly behind the scenes work, but I started to discover Life doesn't really seem to be about all that I thought it was going to be about. It's kind of yeah. leaving me kind of empty. And it all came to a head when I went out one night to cover the Nets and the Bulls basketball game. The Nets were in New Jersey, then, not as they are in Brooklyn now. And back then, you know, there's, there's no internet at that point. And so we, we would feed the audio actualities that we would get in the locker room interviews on a phone line back to the studio. And I walk in, it was this crazy game. And a guy in the Nets went up and broke a backboard in the middle of the game. And right. They were playing the Michael Jordan Chicago Bulls. So Bulls are, Bulls are up like by eight in the fourth quarter, and yeah, it might as well have been 20 because there's no way the Nets were going to catch him. And everybody just left when this guy broke the backboard because they didn't have one ready to, to just roll out. So literally like drilling holes in the glass and all these things. Right. And it was just a long, long night. So a bunch of people were just ready to go home. Mm-hmm. And I'm stuck there for another two or three hours. And so I, I get down, I go to the locker room and I have this big tape recorder because we didn't just use our phones then to record things. And I'm adjusting the, the level on the on the volume as I'm walking in. And I'm not watching where I'm walking. And I, I nearly trip over Michael Jordan. I like run right into him. And I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And he goes, he's like, dude, it's okay. He was like, it's a long night for all of us. The, yeah. the media had kind of surrounded him then because I had kind of trapped him there. And we had kind of a rather innocuous interview with him. We asked him a few questions about the game. There was some controversy that was going on with the, with the, with a Knicks player that we asked him about. And he said, that's got nothing to do with me. And what, I mean, it was a really forgettable interview. I can't really even remember the questions. And I called the assignment editor at the end and, and I said, hey, I got some cuts for you. You know, I went and covered the other locker room and everything else and got everything I needed. And then Coleman said, yeah, I got some cuts for you. And I said, well, you know, I got a couple of cuts of Jordan. They're not very good, but if you want. And I was like, Michael Jordan? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. You know, he never talks. And he was like, and he usually only does television. And he goes, good, good job, kid. I was like, look, do you want these cuts or not? I'm tired. I want to go home. <laughs> 
And the guy said to me, he goes, Mike Hayes, you should be much more excited about this if you are. Yeah. Uh, the life was really not what I thought it should be. And what my friends actually discovered and helped me discover was that I was far more excited about leading retreats in my local parish, which was St. Paul the Apostle, the Mother Church of the Paul's Fathers. Okay. At that point. And a couple of the Paul's fathers, Father Chuck Coleman in particular, I would say, yep. along with Father Eric Andrews and then the then Father Brett Hoover, you know, they were all sitting around and, and just talking to me about what I wanted to do. And they all said they were going to find me a job. They said, I think you're right for ministry. We're going to find you. We're going to find you a job. And they invited me to go to a focus group for that the community was having about young adult ministry. They thought they were the right people to start a national office for young adult ministry. Okay. I had young adults from all over the country and I was one of them. And I just sat there and by the end of the meeting, I'm like, got all these ideas and we're running around with it. And we just discerned we should, we should do retreats like the ones we had in college for these folks. And we should do something on the internet. That was literally the direction. And when, when was this? I mean, you've placed it in historical time by Michael Jordan, who's but yes. we, what, so what year are we talking about? Turn of the century was when this meeting happened, like 99. Okay. And then Father Frank DeCiano then was the president of the Paulists. And someone in the room at that point had said, you know, it would be really great. It would be really great if there was a lay person who had media experience and who, who knew a lot about the internet, maybe could help you do some traditional media. And then who also knew how to do retreats. And I had been running retreats at St. Paul the Apostle, and I had learned how to do that at Fordham. And it was always such a big part of my own young adult life at that point that all the eyes in the room just fell on me. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, dear Lord, this is, I'm supposed to do this. And so I went and said, hey, Father Frank, I think, I think I'd like to help you with this. And I totally meant like volunteer, like I think it's a great project. I'd love to be involved kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And he just asked me to go home and draw on a piece of paper, what I thought the offer should do. I went home and did it that night. Okay. <laughs> you know, I was so excited about it. And so I did that. I sent it to a couple of people to critique and a couple of a couple of Paulists and who knew Father Frank pretty well. And so he cleaned it up a little bit. And I, I sent it to him and he called me and said, look, I'm going out of town. This was in like late January, I think of 2000. And he said, I'm going out of town. I'll be back by St. Patrick's Day. I got to go to Rome for something. And then I'll, I got a couple other visitation trips. He goes, but I'll be back by St. Patrick's Day. We could talk then. It's the longest two months of my life. Sure. And he called me up. He invited me out for Chinese food in Queens and offered me a job. And I said, well, now he's going to offer me a job that's going to be half of what I'm making in radio. And, and there's no way I'm going to have to say yes. And instead, he offered me a job that was that was quite more, it was a more significant salary that I was making in radio, which which is a function of the policy being generous, certainly. But, but sure. also a function of radio paying behind the scenes people notoriously cheap. Okay. And uh, we started doing a year's worth of research on young adults and learning all about the difference between then Gen X and, and millennial young adults and what's that all about. And uh, started with a retreat program that we, we, we partnered with the Jesuit Center of Chicago and ran, ran a retreat program that they designed. Then we started putting a design together for what we thought was going to be an internet magazine. I contend that we had the idea for old school blogging now before mm -hmm. anybody else. We, we thought we would hire six writers and that their energy and their stories about faith and, every, and everyday life would be the thing that would get people coming back. Kind of like a reality TV show would work. We sort of tested that with, with the folks in some focus groups. And they said, 
oh yeah, that's a good idea. But what I really go to the internet for is information. I'm looking for something. I want to find what I'm looking at and I want to get out quickly. And so we, we started developing like a, a faith information kind of section of the website. And so the original website was like in two pieces. It was this internet magazine that, you know, we, we hired six or seven writers and then they drove that with the, with the stuff we asked them to write about, about faith in everyday life and how those intersect. And then we developed, you know, a little bit of the Bible, a little bit on prayer, a little bit on mass. And then Father Dave Dwyer came along about four years into this project and then became the new director. We both have a radio background. And so we started a podcast together. So we did get 250 or so episodes of the Busted Halo cast. And then the Archdiocese of New York came along and said, yeah, we're, we're going to have a channel on Sirius XM. And so we said, oh, that's an interesting idea. And so Father James gave us the idea. I said, why don't you just send them the podcast? Maybe, maybe they'll play it. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, okay, that's a good idea. And so he sent them a reporting of the podcast, and we get a phone call from 1011 First Avenue, which is the headquarters of the Archdiocese. And they said, could you guys come over for a meeting? And I'm like, sure. And so Father Dave and I went over, and they said, how do you guys like to do a show every night of the week? We're like, well, wait a minute. Let's not say yes yet. And we said, we got to blow everything else up that we're doing. We had uh, you know, the website, we had the podcast, we had the retreat program. And we're like, there's a this is a big thing. And so we talked about it a little bit more and we decided that it probably should be Father Dave's show. You know, they, they needed a priest to be the face of that, yeah. of that channel. And I thought he really was, was primed to be the, the right person to do it. And for me, it was like, I was like, that's a job I left nine years ago. You're right. I go to ministry. I said, I'm not really called to do this. Happy to help. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think this is your thing. And I think you should go and do it. And I think that would be good for the boss and good for you. And he readily agreed. And so he took, he took the job. I produced the first month of the radio show and then helped him hire a new producer. Well, he does such a good job with that show. Absolutely. Yeah. It was clearly his gift. Like, I, like, I think that's one of my gifts too, is I'm, I'm able to see other people's gifts and kind of where they belong and. I'm a trained so, spiritual director also, so that's a big part of my ministry now. So I find it interesting that I started this question off by asking you to give us your spiritual journey. And we're actually, in addition to your spiritual journey, hearing a work journey, which means to me that the Holy Spirit just won't let you go. Yeah. Starting in putting your dormitory right next to the chapel so that the bells keep you <laughs> totally alert to the existence of the church. Yeah. And Drew, I think, I think one of the things for me is that I've always found that my work vocation is always intimately linked with my, with my spirituality in some way. When, mm-hmm. when I was radio, I got invited to this big swanky dinner. Our, our broadcast coach at Fordham was a guy named Marty Glickman, who might be familiar to three of you. He started broadcasting on radio and te- sports broadcasting on radio and television. He was literally the pioneer at it. And he was, he was in the 36 Olympics as a sprinter. It was in Berlin and, and Hitler wouldn't let him run because he was Jewish. And okay. he had another chance again. And uh, he became kind of the first jock broadcaster. <laughs> and so he's famous in certain New York circle, but he invited us to this big dinner that Syracuse University was throwing for him to name a scholarship for him. And there was this guy who was seated at my table who was blind. And he had been invited by Marty. He said, yeah, Marty's been my eyes for the past 50 years. And I just thought that was the coolest thing. Like I got into the media 
game, you have more for journalistic reasons. But then I saw that like, this is really a service to some people. There are some people who can't see. His big challenge every year was he, he said he, he did a radio broadcast of the Big Apple Circus. He said, well, how do you describe an elephant to someone who can't see? Mm-hmm. Said, wow. How do you describe color to someone who, can't, who doesn't know what color is? And I always thought that was a really big challenge as a radio broadcaster to kind of try to paint the word picture for people and to keep in mind there are people out there who literally can't see. And right. for me, that was the more altruistic reason to go into this. And as I started to explore that more and more, I was like, wait a minute, maybe, maybe I'm just called in a different direction. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But what's interesting, and this goes back to Drew's comment about the Holy Spirit is dragging you by the hair and before you even knew it. Would you say something, Mike, about since you are a spiritual director, an Ignatian spiritual director, no less, well, one of the key concepts there is discernment. And it sounds to me like the story you're telling is an actual, in real time, someone discerning through the events of daily life what God is leading him to. People are always saying, well, where do you find God? Or God doesn't know those religious movies, which I always hated because people are expecting Charlton Heston's voice over a megaphone from the sky. God don't talk to me. Well, I've never heard that either. So, I mean, but tell us about, say something intelligent instead of me rambling on here about (laughs) discernment in what you just said and how for the listeners to know that that's, that's one of the ways you find out what God wants you to do. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's a difference between deciding and discerning, right? You make decisions every day, and some of them are well thought out, some of them aren't. But, but discernment is to ask yourself, well, what does God want you to do? You know, how, how do you include God in this conversation in some way? What are the things that you're most consoled by, and what are the things that you're not consoled at all by? And to look at those things really carefully and ask yourself how you can more often move away from the things that, that make you desolate and to the things that console you. Let me interpret here for, for the non-church nerds here, unlike us. The consolation would be the part where he finds I've got all this energy for this particular thing. It makes me happy. I'll stay to midnight. I'll have the same clothes on. And I won't even think anything of it because I'm that into it. And then you step back and you go, Oh, wait a minute. And everybody else is going, dude, what do you do? Are you nuts? You're still here. You're still, you know, so that would be consolation. And the desolation would be the, the negative of that, where he told the story of Michael Jordan, whatever, whatever, man. And everybody's like, yeah. you just talked to Michael Jordan. Yeah, whatever. So anyway, the backboard was broken. I mean, that is classic. That is the kind of stuff you look for in your life to find God and what he wants with you. I just, I couldn't let that go without. So feel free to wax eloquent on that, Mike. I yeah, just, no, no, I think that's right. I mean, the, the, the other story that I always tell is that when I, I went from WFAN to WOR and radio, which was, WOR is sort of like a classic talk station. And I ended up producing a food show where I gained 30 pounds very easily. And it was literally Betty burned her potato kugel and wondered what to do next. So she called us, of course. And the host of the show is this man named Arthur Schwartz. And I, I came back from leading a weekend retreat with St. Paul's, and I was just flying high, right? I was just so excited after this retreat. And he just noticed that about me. And he said, what's her name? And I said, what do you mean? He goes, 
I know you met someone this weekend because I haven't seen you this excited in months. Mm-hmm. I guess her name's Mary, but at a Catholic <laughs> retreat. And he goes, really? And I go, yeah. And he said, huh. And he goes, hey, you were on another one of those about six or seven months ago, weren't you? And he goes, yeah. He goes, yeah. He goes, and you came back from that pretty excited too. And he goes, this must be really great for you. He goes, hey, let's talk after the show. And I said, all right. So we went, we did our show. And then at the end of the show, I walk into the studio and he goes, all these mic sauce in here? And I said, yeah. He goes, good. Get the hell out of here. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he goes, and he goes, you should not be producing my silly little radio show. He goes, you should be going out there and doing those retreats for a living. And mm-hmm. I just didn't think I could do that. I didn't know how to do that. Right. But I knew he was right. And I, <laughs> I couldn't sleep for a couple of weeks just thinking about that all the time. Like he had said, Mike, if you could do anything tomorrow, what would you do if you didn't have to pay your rent or you didn't have to, you didn't have any responsibilities? He goes, how would you spend your time? He was really instrumental in helping me figure it out. He was like, yeah, no, look, I got this retreat house in Connecticut. Those people look like they're fine. He goes, go and talk to people who actually do this. There are people who do this for a living. He goes, then they seem perfectly happy. They don't seem like they're starving to death. He goes, go, go talk to them. So he made me go talk to people who are doing ministry for a living as lay people. And that made it a whole lot less scary to start to look for what I wanted. And that was when I engaged some of the apologists in that discernment. And they, they helped me think about, well, where, where might I be called? Right. And now, of course, to bring it up to present day, you are working for the Diocese of Cleveland, yeah. Ohio. As a director of young adult ministry, you are in the diaconate program. You'll be a deacon in a year. God um, willing, yes. We have God willing. God willing. Yeah, we always have to wait till the <laughs> bishop actually lays hands on us. That's right. Entirely I will not believe over- it until he lays his hands on my head. Right. Entirely overqualified, by the way, back to that well, uh, curriculum you. vitae. Yes. I, mean, I wish all deacons, including Casey and me, right, Tom? Right. <laughs> we wish we had a curriculum vitae like that. Ministry would be at a whole new level. But anyways, continue. Uh, yeah, I always noticed all of the all of my deacon brothers in my class were all much more qualified than me. I just used to follow them around, whether it was hospital ministry or or whatever, and watch them work because they were just so good at it. I'm just a tag-along deacon, if you will. <laughs> but but your story also reminds me of two guys who are sitting here with me who both engaged in prison ministry for yeah. a, a long part of their life. They were able to do what you do, and that's actually put together their work journey and their spiritual journey into, into one thing. But if I can move this a little bit now to one of our, I'm going to call it one of our Deacon's Pod classic questions, okay? And I think that you are greatly qualified to answer this. What do you say to the person standing in the door who is either thinking of leaving or thinking of coming in? I mean, we all know our church has had problems. You, in the beginning of your spiritual journey, you talked to us about that priest who just turned you off. And it was so reminiscent of the, I, I was going to call it a bigger problem, but a different, the bit different problem of the abuse scandal, because I think they're related to the clericalism and not paying attention or to thinking that some type of person is, needs to be protected at the cost of everybody else. Having said that, having said that, what do you say to that person for whatever their reason is? Yes, I wish that question were so unfamiliar to me. Uh, you know, I've obviously had to talk all, to a lot of people about those kinds of things. And I think the first thing to ask them is, well, has there ever been a time in your life where things were really great in your spiritual life? And more importantly, great in your church life? You know, were ever part of a really nice, 
great parish that really spoke to you? Were you ever part of a community that really fed you? Yeah, tell me about that. And then listen, darn it. Yeah, you, know, you, you got to listen to people. Right. And, and when you start to hear, then you can kind of make connections and say, well, you, you're really basing some of your decisions now about welcome on the door on, on maybe one or two different kinds of things. Not that they're insignificant and there's pain there, right? But walking away, that, that doesn't necessarily solve it. It just kicks the can down the road a little bit. And you might find if you go to another community, even another religion, right? that their problems are not all that dissimilar from ours. Mm -hmm. And so I, I always think staying and staying and waiting is kind of the, the more mature thing to do. I always say, you know, this is what adults do. We, you know, we work out our problems as best we can and figure right. out, well, well, where do I fit in in all this? How do mm -hmm. I make this church a better place? Your podcast, guys, has been so inspiring to me sometimes. Just I'm like, my colleagues here in Cleveland, we're, we're all really different people, but we're brothers and sisters, and we've got each other's backs. Right. And, and I'm, I, I thank God for them all the time, because I'm, I'm really bad days where things just don't seem to be adding up the way I'd like them to. Mm -hmm. That there are some people who can accompany me down that road. And, and I ask people at all times, so who, are some, who are some other people that you could talk to about this besides me? Because right. then when they go and talk to those people, they say, oh, yeah, they, they see the same things that I see. And they want to make the church a better place, too. And so now, now I'm working with them on looking at how things are going on in our parish and how we can do those things a little bit better. Right. You know, I think one of the points that comes to mind to me, Mike, when you said that is I hear the excuse, like, or not the excuse, the rationale, like, well, I don't get anything out of church. I don't get anything out. They don't, it's like a telephone. You, you never call me. Well, it works both ways. That phone can call me. That nothing, not getting anything out of the church. Well, what are you bringing into the church? What do you? What do you have? What, what, if you see the deficiencies, what contribution are you bringing? What, what's your gift? And I think it lends itself to that whole, I think you wrote a book on it, what, about finding the spirit, a loving work or something. Yeah, right? yeah. That no. If it was important to you, anything that's important to you, you will put the energy and effort in. So if church is important, then we have to rephrase the question. What, I don't get anything out. Maybe we have to say, well, what can I bring in? What, what, what has the spirit led me to? Yeah, I think you're right. I think there, there's some people give up right, way too easy. When it comes to young people, too, we forget that the, the world's kind of a different place now. We, we used to be saturated with this stuff. You know, I, I told you a little bit about how I grew up. My mother was Catholic. My father was Catholic. It was a very important thing to them. Might not be the case for most of the people in their 20s and 30s now. I used to say when, when I was in campus ministry, here, here are the profiles of the students that come to us. The first one is a very small group of students. They've always been Catholic. It's always been part of their life. They've done youth ministry and life teen and, and all these things. They can't imagine their life without being Catholic. That's a very small, maybe 2% of the campus population. Wow. The largest group is, is this group. It's, these are the people who don't mind religion. Don't mind religion. Notice I didn't say Catholicism. They don't mind religion. It's not the be-all or end-all their worlds. That's probably the biggest people who are just, just one along. Like if they had more experience with this, they might get more involved, but they just don't have the experience with mm. things are really unfamiliar to them. And the third group are people who um, have voted out intentionally because they've had a bad experience and, and maybe it's only one bad experience, but a significant experience. And so they're, they're voting out. And then there are other people who are sort of involved 
it's not even that they can take it or leave it. It's that uh, they're just sort of like on the edge somewhere saying, I, I, I can't decide one way or another. Like things are familiar to them, but they, they just can't decide one way or the other which way they want to go. And I said, and I've got to shoot down the middle at all these groups. Hmm. I think you try to engage them in some way. It's a, it's an interesting problem. I mean, I don't even want to say problem. It's 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 like a puzzle piece. You yeah, but it's like every, where all these people are. But you could say the exact same thing. Take just what you said, and you could apply it to anything. You could apply. Okay, so here, you could apply that diagram or that pie chart if yours just there two percent and this and that to going to the gym. Yeah, that's right. There's 2% of people that, man, I can feel it. I, I can get my workout today. And then, I mean, you go right down the thing, or it could be anything. I don't care. Baseball. It could be anything. There are people that are, this is what it's all about, and I know every stat. And there's other people who's like, well, you know, I'll watch a game once in a while. So to a certain extent, yeah, I mean, you just, it's a bandwidth thing. Everybody can't be a gym rat, a church rat, a, a baseball crazy person, a football crazy person. A, it's just like you got to kind of, we're so overwhelmed, I guess, with yeah. choices today with the internet and all the devices we have, for example, the information. I mean, that's, that's going to be my Lenten homily about fasting from media. You, you got to start learning to protect your mind here and not just leave it open for anybody and the amount it wears you down. But anyway, it's, it's as simple as, well, if we did this, there's all these people saying, well, if we were more liberal, this would work. Or if we were more conservative, this would work. And you just look and say, well, how are those churches doing that do these things? There's just a lot of people. It's just like, I, I, I can't deal with what's on my plate, and you're asking me to do an extracurricular. No. The millennials and the Zoomers figured this out a little bit, right? That They figured out what it's taken most of us a lifetime to figure out. And that's, you're never going to know everything that somebody else thinks you should know. <laughs> There's, there are just too many things out there now. That sometimes it's easier just to choose none of them because <laughs> it's so overwhelming. that They're like, well, wait a minute. Do I, do I have to choose this? Do I have to join this group? And things are so, I think, Dennis, I think you're right. That the difference between joining a gym and the church is that people are familiar with the gym. They might not know how to use the equipment, right? But they're at least familiar with the gym. They know people who go to the gym. Most of the young people mm. don't know that many people that go to church. Well, that's true about young people, but the the die off, yeah, happened for the boomers. Oh yeah, I'm I, I am a boomer, and most of my friends don't go to church, or they're in that second category of eh, it's all right, whatever. But this started before, like the boomers checked out to a large extent, and then whatever Catholicism for let's just keep it in our Bailey, whatever sure. Catholicism they passed on to their children was it best Catholic light? It was a little something. A little, I mean, we got the full immersion. You got the nuns, you had the brothers, the priests. The, we got the whole thing. And then they get a church on Christmas and Easter, whatever they got. And then these people are now 40 years old. So what are they giving their kids? You know what I mean? So yeah, they're not familiar with it at all. But that started way back. So it's not just what well, we're so overwhelmed today. So. <laughs> Yeah, I think one of the issues is that a lot of people confuse church with God. And I don't want to say anything here that's heretical or wrong, but God is the ground of everybody's being. And, and the church is how we find God. And we, I think, in this, in this podcast, and Mike, in his, in his life, in his journey, and in, in his uh, five questions, and in his 
and, and his job right now as the director of young adult formation. And Dennis, you've said this many times on this podcast. Our church has so many ways to find God, so many opportunities, starting with the liturgy, which people still don't understand, I think, to a big extent, but starting with all these things. If we can make them understand that we're really talking about something more fundamentally important to them than the rules of our church, then we start to reach people, I think. That's, that's where I come from on this. The example I would use when a couple of lifetimes ago when I was teaching high school religion is it's like what most people know is you go to Mass. So they go to Mass, maybe confession, whatever, whatever they're exposed to, and that's it. And it's like, okay, so what's this about? What, what do I do with this? What's this for? And, of course, the, the answer to that is, well, if you do this for your whole life, it gets incredibly deep. It's like saying, you know how you feel when you hear the Star Spangled Banner song? Well, if we change the song, the national anthem, every month, you would not have that deep feeling. You would not be tearing up when you hear those notes. And so that's what ritual does. But it's not tied to anything, and it's like, yeah, come back to me in 50 years, and you'll know what I'm talking about. That's a, that's a hard sell. So, yeah, you gotta, you, you got to expose them to what does Jesus mean? Where does the rubber hit the road? How is this better? And we picked up a lot of that by being immersed. Because again, back to what Mike was saying, we weren't just in mass. We were with the nuns and the priest and the brothers and this and that. I mean, this was just like the air you breathe. So you, you got to see a lot of things that weren't ritual that you're like, oh, this is what Jesus means. Oh, Father did take care of that homeless man. And that's why you could be shocked at the other priest. So what's working, Mike? I mean, you're the you're doing a lot of work. Tom and I tried to do young adult ministry, and what did we get, Tom? Something less than nothing. I'm, Nada. Bupkis. <laughs> we couldn't we couldn't sell it. We couldn't give it away. We we made fools of ourselves. But anyways, what's even working? going to the brewery? Oh yeah, we were drinking with these guys. That was fine. They would come to that as long as we were buying. But yeah, we're not interested in doing anything. So what's working with young people? Whether it's camp. Well, first of all, what's the difference between young adult ministry and campus ministry? Just briefly, so people know that between the two. And tell us, well, what what approaches are working? Sure. So campus ministry is more of a chaplaincy, right? So you're you're on a particular campus. You're working with the young adults on that campus. I, I worked at two different campuses, a state university and a Catholic and a Catholic college. And those folks are there, right? You don't, you don't have to herd too many cats there around. But how involved are they in, in church would be a, a larger question. And so you still have to kind of like beat the sticks a little bit to find out where people are and, and, and how you might inspire them. The young adult ministry, people in their 20s and 30s, and they're everywhere. I'm the diocesan director. And so my job is really to, to get the parishes to pay attention to young adults, to form groups, to form programs, and, and to really do a little bit of leadership formation amongst young adults in the diocese themselves. So it's young adults ministering to other young adults. I must decrease, they must increase, has been my, has been my mantra. It's like, it's like, I, don't, I don't do anything anymore. I get the young adults to do things now. Which is hard for me, by the way. It's really hard right. to but, do it. But right? why is that important? Yeah, because the, 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 other, the young adults are attracted to people like them. You right. know, they they, they want to hang out with other people who are their own age. They don't want to hang out with me. I'm, I just turned 53 yesterday. Yeah, happy birthday, you yeah. all. Thanks. <laughs> but yeah, the, the interesting thing is when they, whenever, wherever you can gather larger groups of young adults, that really works. So our Theology on Tap program gathers hundred uh, now probably 150 people 
in two different locations every month. So like 100 of one, which has been going for a while, and then the other one get, has just started and they got 50 people right away. Explain, uh, briefly explain what Theology on Tap means. Yeah, so it's a, it's a program that's actually about 40 years old now, might be even older than that, where you basically bring a speaker to the bar. And people, they might not go to church, but they might go to the bar. Right. And so you, you're, what we're finding is that other young adults are bringing their friends who just haven't been to church in a while. And saying, hey, come and listen to this guy talk, and he's really good. And then we get a good speaker, and they, they draw him in a little bit. And then we, you know, we advertise the rest of our events that are going on. Hey, we got a retreat coming up. We are doing the service project over here. We've got a whole bunch of different things going on. One of the things we did that I was, I, this kind of surprised me actually, to, to be honest, my boss and I came up with this idea. We said, we were going to do a seven church walk. And so last Lent, we decided we we're going to visit seven churches around the diocese and we're going to walk to them. And each church, they got a little, a little brief talk from the pastor on a piece of scripture we gave them to reflect on. And they went on to the next one. They spent some time in the church taking Instagram pictures and everything else. And there were some of the more picturesque churches in the diocese. People loved that. Mm. I, I, was, I was like, wow, really? They, they gave their Saturday afternoon to go around to all these churches. How many people? 75. 75 people. Yeah. And, you never and from know all different going. walks of life, there was people who were just kind of interested in it. We've done people, nine people, nights of night prayer in the diocese, which has been the same thing. Nine yes, I saw nights, that. Churches are doing night prayer. And I was standing in front of St. Michael's Church, which is a, a Hispanic church mostly in, in the middle of the city. And this guy's coming along on his bike, and all of a sudden he kind of turns around real fast and comes back over and, and takes his bike up the church steps, and he walks, and he goes, you know, I, I ride past this place every night. I've never seen these doors open. I've never been inside here. And it's probably the most beautiful church of the diocese. I mean, it's definitely the, the one that's my favorite. There are more statues in that place. If you were in there for, for 30 days, you might not be able to count them all. That's mm. this really big Gothic kind of architecture thing. It's it's very ornate. And I said, well, we're here every night. We do night prayer every night for the next nine nights. And I said, yeah, we, we do this thing on Sunday, too. <laughs> the guy started coming back. Started saying, well, yeah, maybe I should come in here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And he brought, you know, the next night he brought his wife. When I was a prison chaplain, one of the Protestant chaplains I worked with, she showed me this study. And I wish to God I had saved it because I thought it was, at the time, I couldn't believe it. It was like SMU did it, Southern Methodist University. I mean, it was a reputable study. And it was, I'm making up the numbers now. I can't even remember them. But it was something crazy like 80%, and this is maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, whatever. 85% of people under the age of 30 have never been in a church building. Wow. And I was like, what? And she was showing me this, and I'm like, that's, that's bogus. And she says, what do you mean? I said, how, how, would you, how would that happen? She says, what do you mean? I says, someone's going to die. You're going to go to a funeral. Someone's going to get married. You're going to go to a funeral. Someone's going to have their baby baptized. You're going you're gonna to go to the church. I mean, you don't have to be Catholic. I mean, you're going to get invited to something. You're going to go in the door. What is this about? And she laughed. She says, oh, Dennis, you are so Catholic. And I was like, what do you mean? She says, I do all those things. I bury them in the funeral home in the graveyard. I baptize them and marry them in their own backyards around the beach. She said, absolutely. She says, I absolutely believe that's true. And so what that leads to is it's like going by the Munster Mansion, you know? It's like, 
ooh, that's a spooky place. What, I wonder what they do in there. We're going to start hearing the old things from the Roman persecution. They drink blood in there. They're cannibals. It's just completely foreign. It's like some crazy cult thing that's going on there. So it is opening people up and inviting people in just would do us so much good if we would like just open our facilities to the community, like say, okay, once a month in the parish calendar, we're going to let, I don't care, AA, we're going to, we're going to do a soup community soup kitchen thing. We're going to invite, oh, the town is having this. Well, they can, this can be a location for the thing. Let people come in, let people, you know. This past summer, here's a really good example. We, we decided that you guys know the hillbilly Thomists. I've heard of them. They're a group of Dominicans who play bluegrass music. Right. My boss had some connection to him, Father Damien Ferentz, so I did the, the Question of Faith podcast with. He decided to invite them. And we had a concert on the front lawn of one of the, of one of the parishes, St. Wendelin, here in the place where there's all these new developments going up that a lot of young adults are moving into that, that area of town. And so we said, all right, they played Pittsburgh. They were doing a little tour, so they had done Pittsburgh the night before, and they had about 200 people in Pittsburgh. So you know, Cleveland and Pittsburgh are big rivals, and so he <laughs> said, we hope we get 201. We had 600 people at this thing. Mm. And it was just a free concert, no tickets, no nothing. Just to show up, we'll have some food trucks, we'll have some beer and wine. We'll, you know, we'll they play in their habits? Cream. Yeah. They put in no, that habits. must have been... who. who... <laughs> <laughs> you have people with brochures fielding the question. What's the clan doing in town? I mean, <laughs> Live from the Inquisition. Not That's, playing. No, they don't know about the Inquisition, but I mean, <laughs> they see the white robes and it's like, what is this? Oh, man, you know. And then we, we actually had, we just had one of our priests named Auxiliary Bishop of Cleveland. And so he was, in, he was ordained a bishop that morning. And his first act as bishop was to come and preside in night prayer after the concert. And so we brought all these 600 people into the church. And I got to tell you, most of them came in. I was really surprised. And they came in. It was candlelit. And it was really, it was really, really beautiful. And the bishop comes out. And he just looks out into the crowd. And he goes, I just want to say, this is really cool. <laughs> it's like that. And nice. it really was. It, was. it was really the highlight of the year for us. And um, yeah, I mean, I think that that's what you were saying, Dennis, is, you got to give them some kind of reason to, to come now. To come. If they're just not coming of their own volition. Because now we have to think about, well, what else can we do to, to kind of at least give them an idea that they can walk into this building? Yeah, give them permission. So you got a podcast, right? Yeah, Question of Faith, uh, Father Damien Ferentz. Now we, have, we answer one question a week, really. It's that simple. But people people send us questions, and sometimes we just, we just rip them from the headlines. Like this, this past week, we did... Uh, how long should a homily be? Because of what Pope Francis is mm-hmm. about, mm-hmm. homilies right. are disasters, and there should be no more than ten minutes. Right. So we just we just got to talk about that. We usually have a guest once a month. We just do it on our own, but we our guests are usually our colleagues from around the diocese, or sometimes we, we just had a young adult recently for the first time, and so we like to try to do more of that. You ever invite handsome Paulist affiliate deacons in? To be on your- <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not. I'm just asking. Once we you. find one, asking for a friend. <laughs> you know, I'd like to go on the show too, but you said handsome. Yeah, well, we have faces uh, for radio, as they did, say. I had one question: Did you disagree with the Pope about the length of homilies? Yes, because I thought that was too much. I thought ten minutes was too long. Some of these guys <laughs> can't make it a four. You know? Oh yeah, right. Oh, I said, yeah. That's what yeah. I was thinking. It's like. Ten minutes. 
I, I can't remember the last time I heard someone say 10 minutes. The problem is the content. It's like it se- might seem like 10 minutes, but it was only four or five, and it was like there was no there there. It is a problem. It comes up in every survey from everybody, and preaching is a hard thing because you're pre- preaching to everybody in every situation. Very and, difficult. Yeah, it's just uh, for, the, uh, for the listeners, remember when you were in high school and you said to your friend, oh, I love this teacher, and your friend said, are you kidding me? I hate this guy. And I mean, it's like, it's their style and it's your brain and they click and it's, and no one can reach everybody. So now imagine that with it from, from nine months to 99 years old and every education level and everything, go ahead, say something that's going to make us all care about it. It's just, it's, it's daunting for the poor preachers. Well, with that challenge about preaching, preaching, Mike, why do you want to be a deacon? Yeah, exactly. I ask myself that all the time. You know, I want to be a deacon because I'm called to be one. I think I think that's 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 the right answer, and, and it's sincere. It's not just a textbook answer either. It's just have always been part of my life. I, you know, when, when I grew up in a parish, there were two deacons. When I wasn't with my parents, I was with those two deacons, mm-hmm. and I, I'm definitely different than those two guys. But the way I liken it is that I, I'm the equipment manager of a baseball team. If if this were ba- if the church were a baseball team, I'm not a player. I'm certainly not the manager. I'm, I'm the guy who gives people enough equipment to let them play now. And my joy is just to sit back and watch them, you know, mm-hmm. watch them go at it and, and just say, okay, that's, that's great. Do that now. You know, it's sort of the, uh, the know the way, show the way, grow the way, and then go away. Right. I think that's a deacon's job. <laughs> and, and I, and I kind of see myself doing that more and more. So there's that. That's one of the reasons I think that I'm called to do those kinds of things in various entities, whether that's the diocesan or at the parish level, but also just in like everyday life. Just how can I be a deacon to my family? How can I be a deacon to my friends? What way am I called to just serve their needs and and to help them be just a little bit better than they think they can be? That's the first thing. And then I, I think the more liturgical side of me is I'm a good preacher. I've done that with retreat work for a long time and, and had the opportunity to do some reflections now and again. I preached the first night. The the other night, we, we just opened up our next our, our most recent semester, and my class is now up to do reflections at evening prayer. And so I was the first, I was, I was the first one from my class to have to, to have to preach evening prayer and do a little reflection around, around the thing. And yeah, man, it's, it's difficult work, right? How difficult it is real quick. Mm-hmm. And, and I did a good job. I did a great job. You know, I think I am gifted this. And so I think I'm, I just feel myself called to be in that role mm-hmm. more and more. And then I get enough affirmation that leads me to say, yeah, okay, I can do this. You know, I, I can do this. You I, get people, I, I think you I get people asking you if you're a deacon yes. or, or you should be a deacon. Are you getting any of that? Yeah. You get that confirmation. Certainly students asked me that when I was in campus ministry. Hey, ever think about being a deacon? You know, some friends of his, the, the Paulist father, Tom Gibbons, and Paul's Productions, when he was in Toronto, he used to stop at my house in Buffalo on the way back to New Jersey. And uh, he took me out to breakfast one day and he said, man, what's wrong with you? Get in the game. Because this is fun. He goes, don't you want to do this? And that, that kind of got me off the chair. I was like, yeah, okay. I owe it to myself to at least just go to a meeting. And so I went to a meeting and then and the next thing I applied and then, you know, pandemic ended my job in Buffalo and I moved over here to Cleveland and, and I wanted to keep going. So we're, so we're, we're going, we're still going, you know, which is great. Wonderful. Wonderful. Do you think you'll have any change come 2024 as far as the direction of your ministry? Yeah, God willing. 
I don't, I don't know where the, I remember we're, we're called where the bishop needs us. Mm. And so I don't know where the bishop will need me that. I know he needs uh -huh. me here right now. And, and I've got some good affirmations from my boss that they, they don't want me to leave. So that's good. But that's nice to be needed. Yeah. And I think <laughs> the deacons are going to be asked to do more and more on this diocese. And so I, I think that I hope that they have, yeah, me in mind with that. They might say, well, mm -hmm. you know, a couple of things that we think this guy can do. But then I'll be called when I'm called. I'll start to figure that out. I mean, that's what formation's about, yeah. right? Just to figure yeah, out. Good for you. Yeah. Because of your background, make a choice. Jesuits or Paulists? Whoa. Wow. <laughs> you know Only what? Only kidding. Only kidding. No, that you're doing. No, you know what? Thing. I'll answer it. I'll, no. I'll glad to answer it. There's a Jesuit at St. Paul the Apostle named Bob Collins, who was the managing editor of America magazine for years, but he's been running RCIA. I'm not sure if he's still doing it, but he's been running, he ran RCIA for so many years at St. Paul the Apostle with such great flair. And he was just such a great RCIA director. We say he's a Jesuit with the heart of a Paulist. <laughs> I just tell you all the time. And I think that's fair. I think I think that I, I love the Jesuits and, mm -hmm. and they formed me in many ways. But the Paulist fathers really gave me a, a better sense of humanity. I think, mm. and, a, well, and a better yeah. way to be Catholic. Their spirituality definitely has made me just such a better, just a better human being. Never mind a better Catholic. But those there's another really podcast there, guys. Make a note yeah, of that. Yeah, we yeah. should do yeah. something on a little Hecarian uh, spirituality. Because... Runs to the heart. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, that's... just they're so down to earth. I've always felt comfortable in their presence. I've always felt invited to be in their presence. Doing the five questions show for me, it's been a way for me to really reconnect with those guys. And, and not that I ever was without them, not that I was ever really disconnected, but I certainly feel a lot more connected to them and to their mm. spirituality. It's a great show. Great. It really, yeah. it really, it, it, people should go and watch all the episodes. Yeah. Is yeah. a real sense of not just the Paulist fathers, which you do, but a real good sense of the Paulist fathers' spirituality. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's a great show. And Ignatian yeah. spirituality, I think, runs through Paul's spirituality. It does. There's a lot yeah. of there's a lot of cross current. I, yeah, yeah. I had, it's just Franciscan I, spirituality does as well. You know? Yeah, I had some. I I had the Jesuits, and Tom had the Dominicans. I had the Jesuits in school, and then I had I the benefited a lot from that that experience as well as other orders that that have taught me. And I would that's why I made the joke. Make a choice. You can't like them both. I, <laughs> that's the great thing about being Catholic is you you can dip into all these different yeah. wells yeah. and. And the smorgasbord and try a little off of this dish and try a little off of that dish and find something that works for you. And that's what you've done and I've done, Mike. So, yeah. Well, thank you very much, Mike. This has been very good, a wonderful, Mike. wonderful session yeah. with you. Yeah. Nice to see you, Mike. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Appreciate good luck. it. We'll see you around. Yeah, okay. keep up the good work. You too. Special thanks to El Jefe Paul Snatchko and our editor, David Dalt. The Deacon's Pod is powered by the Paulist Fathers. You can find us anywhere you get your podcasts and, of course, at our own website, www.deaconspod.com. That's D-E-A-C-O-N-S with an S, Deacon's, plural, pod, all one word, dot com. And, of course, we'd love to hear your comments at our email address, which is deaconspod, again, with an S, deacons, at paulist.org. That's P-A-U-L-I-S-T dot org. Love to hear from you. That's our offering. We thank you for being with us. 
On behalf of our colleagues at the Missionary Society of St. Paul the Apostle, we wish you a future brighter than any past. Till next time.